we have already been ushered into the presence of the Lord in testimony and in music. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Tony, for coming all this way from New Guinea to uh, share with us from Papua New Guinea, I should say. And uh, thank you, Wealthies. We'll, we, rec- we recognize that those kids' skill sets represent a lot of long hours for mom and dad helping make sure they're practicing. So thank you. We look forward to hearing from Chandler a little bit later. How good are you at waiting? Not so good, huh? Well, one, one thing I can help, have you help with is there are some folks who might be waiting in the back, and if, if you're sitting with some extra seats around you, you might want to scoot in just a hair for those who uh, come in late. Make friends with somebody you haven't met before, or maybe you have. The DMV is my least favorite place to wait. Is it, hasn't the DMV become almost a symbol for futile waiting? It's the cartoon caricature of what it means to wait without hoping that something will actually be accomplished. How do you do with your waiting? When, you, when things aren't going well, um, when you're in, sitting in traffic and you're, you're in a hurry and things aren't, aren't going as you had planned, are you a foot tapper? You that, are you that guy? Are you standing in the grocery store line and the person in front of you is uh, writing a check, which nobody does, and you're, you start tapping your foot until somebody in the rest of the line kind of looks back at you like, dude, come on. And the person who's writing the check is getting more nervous and getting slower because you have stressed them out. Are you that guy? Are, are you the sire? The waiting starts and you go, Is that you? How, how do you go about waiting? Are you pleasant? I have found that I am, I am better at waiting when I'm not in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is I'm usually in a hurry. Even when I don't have to be in a hurry, I'm often in a hurry. I was driving this week, twice this week, I was driving in traffic and uh, in, in different, different situations around, around the region here, caught in traffic, not to be unexpected. And luckily, in both cases this week, when I was sitting in the traffic, I had plenty of time. But I still had to calm myself and say, relax, you are not in a hurry. Both times as I was, I was just quietly and casually and easily on my way. I didn't, I didn't have anything to rush about. Both times, I literally had to talk myself down from the edge. You can stay in this lane even while all these people pass you. It does not matter. And then I, I stayed. I was coming across Business 80 coming eastbound um, on a, in a morning traffic pattern this week. And as I was coming through town, um, I don't know, probably 8, eight o'clock in the, in the morning coming back uh, from south, down south of town, as I was coming back across Biz 80, I'm sitting in, the, in the, the, the third lane or the lane closest to the center. And I'm sitting in that lane and people are going by. And a tr- big truck goes by 
and it's a different truck. It's brown instead of the usual white. And I said, oh, I can look at that truck and see if I catch up. I was in no hurry. But I still wanted to know where I stood at the end of the race. Are you any good at waiting? It is, uh, it is perhaps one of the worst things that happens to us in our culture, in our society, is that we don't do well with resting and stopping and waiting. Do you realize we have been involved in a 2,000-year Sabbath? That we are the latest permutation of people caught up in a 2,000-year Sabbath while we wait for the resurrection. We should be good at waiting. Maybe we should practice. Just maybe we should practice. I want to talk a little bit about the return of Israel from Babylon. I know you thought I forgot about those people. I didn't. Maybe some of you wished I'd forgotten about those people. I didn't. We left them stuck in Babylon last time we talked. We talked about how many of them were going to return, but then I left for three weeks while you waited. <laughs> and as we talk about them and we talk about waiting and we talk about that, that promise to come that you're hoping is happening soon but isn't always, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 just as we get started. When the fullness of time had come, half full time, three quarter full time, full time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, when you're waiting on God, Your waiting is not blind like DMV. It's not hopeless. It is waiting for someone who has all of it carefully orchestrated in his hand. When the fullness of time had come. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 10 and 11. Now remember the people of Israel have been in captivity they were, they were told they were going into captivity. They were warned they were going into captivity. They were, they, were, they were fully aware that this was about to happen to them. They were even told how long they were going to be in captivity. They were not unaware of the promise of God or of the punishment of God or of the results of their behavior or the reason for their arrival in Babylon. Jeremiah says it in chapter 29, verses 10 to 11. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Just remember that as an exile who's been on a 2,000-year-old Sabbath waiting for the second coming of Jesus. He knows the plans he has for us. When the fullness of time has come, he'll do what he has planned. And by the way, it's a plan to prosper and to give you hope and a future. A future you don't have without Jesus. A hope you don't have without Jesus. A prosperity you can experience 
without Jesus. Plans to give you hope and a future. Daniel would discover this. I don't know if you, if you think about Daniel's anxiety. I love the fact that Daniel is having a discomfort about waiting in chapter 9. Chapter 9, Daniel's kind of concerned about his weight getting stretched out by God. He's not sure, but he's having all these long prophecy visions. And he's like, I don't know what's going on here, God, but it seems to me you might be stretching out my wait time. I'm not really excited about that. That's what happens in the DMV when you're standing there in the line. The person whose line you're standing in goes to lunch. And you're like, wait, there are 30 of us in line. You can't just go to lunch. But they disappear into the back, the cavernous back of the DMV where who knows what goes on. Parties are happening back there. Celebrations are happening back there. Dances are happening. We don't know what's going on back there. But they're gone for interminable periods of time. And then suddenly they poke back out. And a beard is growing on my face by the time they get back. And Daniel sees the person who's at the head of his DMV line disappear into the back. And he's like, God, you can't do this to me. I got, a, I got a deal. We have a deal. Jeremiah signed a contract. Your name's on the contract. Daniel chapter 9. I understood by the book the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. He would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And next time you go to the DMV, do not forget your sackcloth and ashes. It worked for him. Daniel wasn't a great waiter, was he? God, you've promised 70 years that was going to be it. And... I'm ready for that promise to be fulfilled now. We're, we're getting really close to the end, and you've you got to stick with us. I know we don't deserve rescue, but you said you'd do it. And so I'm counting on your promise, the promise of a hope and a future. Some of God's promises have a long time window, right? Have you felt that way about some of his promises to you? Have you felt like sometimes the, the, there's just a long time window in the promise to you? I just I want to remind you of a couple. God's promise to Adam of his seed to defeat Satan took thousands, thousands of years to come to fruition. The fullness of time came and Jesus arrived, but it took thousands of years for that to happen. Thousands of years. The promise was true. And the wait was not in vain, but it took a long time to happen. Abraham, do you think Abraham was a patient waiter? You read the story of Abraham. Does he look like he's patient? Does he keep showing up saying to God what you would say to God? Come on now. It's been a long time. What's going on here? Let me help you out with this. Right? He, he and his wife come up with a plan to help God out with the waiting that God doesn't seem to be accomplishing. And how that work out for him? Still not working out very well, is it? They went ahead of God, tried to accomplish God's plan before God was ready to accomplish his plan, before the fullness of time. And when they went ahead of God, they messed up what God was trying to do. Now, God didn't reject Abraham's 
wife and child. In fact, when they disappear over the horizon of biblical experience, they do so with the blessed hand of God upon them. Right? God sends them away with a promise and his blessing. He didn't ignore them because Abraham had messed up. Thank God that he doesn't just toss aside our mistakes. That even though we sometimes do things that interfere with the plan, he's not surprised and he's not without options. Abraham was a hundred years old when the promise was finally fulfilled that his wife would bear him a son. He was old enough that when you hear it in chapter 16, he laughs. He's old enough that when his wife hears it, she laughs. I'm 90 years old. Are you kidding me? Any of you want to volunteer to be a 90-year-old pregnant woman? Anybody want to be a 100-year-old daddy? Waking up four, five, six times a night to feed the baby? We have a volunteer. Any of you who have little children who are keeping you awake at night, there's your guy right there. Give him a bottle, tell him when to feed the baby. Some of God's promises have long time windows. And we need to be patient in the assurance that we can trust God. That we can relax in his arms and know that he has this under control too. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now you first have to think about how unlikely this would be. This would be... This would be... Putin's been on my mind a lot lately. I won't tell you why, but he has been. This would be the Lord stirring up the heart of the president of Russia, Mr. Putin, to decide to build Adventist churches across Russia by the thousands. Does that seem like it might be a little far-fetched for you? Kind of in the same realm. Okay. Now, we know some things about this. We know Isaiah had prophesied about Cyrus. We know that probably the people who were there in exile told Cyrus about what had happened and what Isaiah had prophesied. And so God's prepared for the stirring up of his heart. But this is an emperor who conquers people by killing their leaders and taking over their nation and stealing their stuff. That's the guy who God puts in charge of reestablishing his, his people and their temple in Jerusalem. Pretty far-fetched thinking, pretty miraculous behavior, pretty mysterious kinds of an a- kinds of action. God, would you? I, I don't understand. Why don't you just Why don't you just raise up a king for Israel from among the Israelites who defeats the Persians and and victoriously marches back to Jerusalem with great fanfare, builds the temple, establishes the kingdom, and forever reigns? Doesn't that sound like a better plan to you? Then getting some pagan king to send you home and send your stuff with you? That's what he did. There was a, there was a, a, a prison in Germany at Koblenz. 
It was a specific German prison in, in, in the Second World War that was for officers only. And so officers who, uh, who found themselves captured by the German army were sent to this to particular prison. It was mostly British, Dutch, and French officers who were in this prison. There was one officer, his name was Pierre, and I can't pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. His name was Pierre, and Pierre had decided that he wanted out of this prison. Now, let's just stop for a sec. How bad is it to be in a first world country's prison when there's a war raging? I hadn't thought about it at all until this week. But when I thought about it, I thought, okay, his options are stay there, wait out the war. The Germans are not great to their prisoners, but they're not really harsh on them either. If you behave yourself, you get three meals, walls protect you. Generally, you're not too bad, particularly as an officer under the guard of the German, uh, the, the German uh, po- yeah, political machine. I was trying to get to that word that wouldn't work. So it, it, his, his, his options for staying weren't that bad, really. And I've thought about Israel. We've talked about this before. Israel's options for Babylon aren't that bad, really. For Daniel, certainly they were. But for the rest of the folks, there were exiles there, but they were given property to build houses and grow crops. And it wasn't horrible. And yet this guy, Pierre, decides he wants out. And so the first thing he does is his family sent him a pair of pajamas. He got the idea that he would sew his pajamas into something that looked like a business suit. So you got to figure it wasn't probably a great looking business suit, but he was trying to just get something that would pass. And so he tucks away this gray business suit of his in his clothes and, and he's out in the yard walking where the, where the rest of the uh, people are walking. And, and on a prearranged time, some of the folks that are there gathered, they, they kind of make some noise and cause some distractions. And he climbs up inside of this open pavilion and hides in the rafters of the building while they're all called back into their, uh, into their various barracks. <clears throat> he waits, and then at a, at a given time, somewhat later, as things begin to darken around the camp, one of the soldiers blows a bugle out the window of, 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 their, of their barracks, and that's his sign. All is clear. He jumps down, and he runs out, gets over the wire, gets over the wall, heads into town. He's doing great. He goes to, the, goes to the train station. Someone had smuggled in a 100 mark note into the prison. So he goes up boldly to the ticket agent in his pajama suit and he hands him the $100 or 100 right, uh, marks and he says, um, I'd like a ticket. The person behind the counter looks at, the, at, this mark, uh, at this $100 100 mark bill and he realizes this was printed before the Nazis took over. And there's something weird and suspicious about this guy's suit. And he calls a cop to take him back. Gets 21 days in solitary confinement. 30 days after he gets back, he's at it again. And this time he sneaks over the wire, climbs over the wall, starts running, gets just barely into town. They catch him again. They bring him back. They throw him once again into solitary confinement. A couple of months later, he's at it again. This time, he's got a, a prearranged uh, uh, setup with one of the guys in the, in the prison with him. And he has the guy hold his hands together next to the wire. He runs up, steps into the guy's hand. He flips him up. He goes over the fence, across the wire. It's broad daylight this time. He jumps, over, gets over the fence as bullets are flying by him. He runs out, runs across the creek that's down there to try to keep the dogs from finding him. Crosses the creek several times and then goes and hides in a cornfield for three days. 
starts walking south. So walking primarily at night till he comes into a little village. He's in the, his yard uniform, which was a shirt and a pair of shorts. He finally steals a bike in a little town he comes upon, and he begins riding south. He rides now in the daylight because his uniform is appropriate for a German who's having a nice ride during the day. He makes his way all the way to Switzerland. How badly did he want to get out How badly did he want to be free? How badly did he want to change his circumstances? You see, the people of Israel were waiting for God to stir the heart of the Persian king. You know the crazy thing about about the story of Pierre? He left a note in his stuff in the barracks. And when they went and searched his stuff to see if there was any evidence or anything they could find about where he was going... He told them. He left a note that said, Dear Commandant, if I succeed, please send these articles. And he gave him the address to a place in Zurich, Switzerland, where he was going to be. The crazier thing is the Commandant sent his stuff. God can stir the heart of people to do stuff. Cyrus, the king of Persia, decides to send Israel back and his decree goes into specifics about what he wants to do. Cyrus, the king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth. The Lord God of heaven has given me. He has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Does this sound like a Persian empire emperor to you? Me either. Who is among you all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Now I want to stop you for a sec. It dawned on me also this week that this guy was in charge of not only the place where the southern three tribes were being held, he was also in charge of the place where the northern ten tribes had been sent. So this was not just an opportunity for Judah to go home. This was an opportunity for all of Israel to go home. Because he said, anywhere in the kingdoms under my control, if you wish to go home and rebuild the temple at Jerusalem, go ahead. The other, the northern ten tribes had been taken off into the region around Nineveh, up to the north and east of Babylon, a hundred years before these. And this was also their call home. This is the answer to God's statement multiple times through the prophets where he says, no matter where you have been scattered, even to the ends of the earth, I will call you back home. Some of us have wandered away and gotten so far off we've forgotten how to get home. Some of us are are, are just out there We've, we've kind of wandered. We, we, we didn't intend to. We just started. We found ourselves in another place where we weren't planning to go. Something happened to us. It happened in our spiritual life. It, 
It, it happened in, a, in an Internet search. It happened in the, the reading of a book. It happened in a, a friendship at work. It, it happened in now we found ourselves in some place where we didn't expect to find ourselves. And what I want to tell you is there's a call to go home. It's an open call. Hasn't closed. Never will until Jesus actually comes. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter where you've wandered to, no matter what you've thought of yourself for being there, there's a call of God to go home and to reconnect with Him and to give your heart to Him. The people, some of whom had been away from God for almost 200 years, have an open ticket to go home. Whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Here's the king telling your neighbors to help you go home. Here's, here's the king saying to your fellow drug, drug addicts, hey, you're going to try to make it. We're going to help you do that. You know what's crazy? Is that actually happens. Do you know who do you know who does prison ministry in our world? People who've been in prison. You know who does the, the twelve step programming in our world? people who have successfully completed the 12 steps. Let the neighbors who are there, no matter where you find yourself, help you find your way back home. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I know somebody's out there. I don't know what the issue is that's caused you to wander off, but I know that there are plenty of them. Doubt, disenfranchisement, disgust with the way we've done things. Whatever yours is, there's an open call to go home. It didn't end with Cyrus. It's been, it's been cast out by God across all generations for all time. I love the fact that the God of the universe commanded the king of Persia to build him a house. I love the fact that Cyrus says... God has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. You all go back and make that happen. Here's some money. Here's your stuff. Take it back. Your God is awesome. Why is God so hot on the temple? The temple being reestablished is a symbol of his presence in Israel. The temple being reestablished is a place of worship of the only real God in the world, in the universe. It is the point of contact with Israel and the plan of redemption. And it is the vessel of his message to the whole world. 
Why does God want to reestablish his church? Why does God want to, want to establish this, this body, this church, on, this, on the top of this not-so-big-a-deal hill, in this backwater little community of, of people who, whose only claim to fame is that they sit between the freeways? They literally are the island between the two freeways, one on the west, one on the east, and them. What the, it, it, would be like, it would be like we built a nation on the, on the center of Highway 80. You got two lanes that are going by on both sides. And God says, that's, that's your spot right there. You know, it's, it's, probably, it's probably better to think of the, the, the population between Highway 80 and Highway 50. That's Israel. They're just, they're, their only claim to fame is they're there all the time when you go through. They're just there. Every, every time you have to stop and get gas, you're in Israel. Every time you need to go to the bathroom, you're in Israel. Every time you need a sandwich, you got, it's a kosher one. That's, their only claim to fame is where they live. And here's their God saying, I'm, I want to be in that spot because where you live is important. It touches the world as it goes by. Why is he so sold out to the church? Why is he so sold out to the establishment of people like us? Why is he so sold out to redeem us from wherever we've wandered in our lives? Why? Because the church is the symbol of his presence in the world. Good or bad, that's it. The church is the place of worship for the only real God. The church is the point of contact for the people in the church with their Redeemer and with their redemption. And the church is the vessel of the message of redemption to the world. Why is God's heart so sold out to you? Because you are his chosen vessel for touching a lost world, period. Why does he keep calling us to come back and come back and come back? As we wander, he calls us back and we wander. And he calls us back and we wander. And he calls us back and he says, come on, get back. Get strong. Rebuild. Reestablish. Be faithful. Why? Because it's the message that you have is crucial and the mission that you have is eternal. Fifty thousand people return. Out of, in my estimation, at least a couple hundred thousand that could. Do you ever know that when you decide to stop doing something and head back, getting back closer to God, not everybody's going to support you. You know, you, some some of those days, not 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 everyone's going to say, "Yay, go for it, good job." And some will, and some some of the people most unlikely will. But somebody's going to say, "Dummy, what are you doing?" Right? Somebody's going somebody's gonna to belittle you. Somebody's going to try to sidetrack you. Somebody's going somebody's gonna to call you an idiot. Not everybody's going to jump on board and try to help. But the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and the Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all, with all whose spirit God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord. There's a lot that could be said. I'm kind of running out of time, so let me say a couple last things. 
in this 2,000-year space that we find ourselves in. We can look out across the landscape of time and say, come on, God, wouldn't this be a good time? In the middle of World War II, when thousands, millions of Jewish people were being murdered for no other reason than that they were Jewish, the whole nation could have cried out and probably did. God, wouldn't this be a good time? As wars and heinous crimes have been perpetrated across the world, millions upon millions of people killed, to watch the news and to hear the things that are going on, hearts cry out, mine does, God, wouldn't this be a good time? To wait and trust and believe that he knows better than I do. Believe that if it doesn't happen in my life, it will still happen. To, to, to absolutely trust that the God of the universe is not absent. That there is enough information about him and historical record about him and the presence of Christ in that process. There's enough in the prophecies of scripture and in the words of the text that rings true with our heart, to, to hang our faith on as we look out across the landscape. We're not the first generation to say, isn't it time? We may not be the last generation. But let us be a faithful generation. As we spend our 2,000 plus year Sabbath between the, the death and the resurrection, we wait. The generations before us have died and gone. And the older we get, the more we see of our own generation. And as those lay to rest, we, we ask, Lord, isn't it a good time? And the promise we have from God is I know the right time. Whether it's 2,500 years or 2,000 years or 5,000 years, when I come, it will be the right time. And when you understand the time, you will know it was the right time. So let's be a faithful, waiting generation who are not found wandering away because the time is clicking. But instead, recognizing this was never our home to begin with and the promise of a home in heaven is our hope. Let's pray. Father God, We see evidence of you moving in lives, doing things in the church that blow us away. The things that have happened with Israel in the past, 
with Christians in the past. The things that you have done are amazing. Today we choose again, if we are wandering afar, to come home. To come to your open arms. To come and open our hearts as a, as a dwelling place of your spirit. To be filled with that spirit. And to know we're home. Those of us who have waited and wondered if it was, if it was not a good time now or sometime before. Who have longed for your return. Lord, we choose to be faithful this morning. We choose to be found waiting, looking toward the heavens expectantly throughout the rest of our lives. Give us the strength to be a faithful church. Let us be a place where you are represented, where people can find you. I pray in Jesus' name.